Would you turn with me this evening to Psalm 104, which we just sang part of. Psalm 104, and we're going to read God's Word this evening under the heading of Our Daily Bread. Our Daily Bread from Psalm 104, and then afterwards we'll turn together in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 50. Let's give our attention to the whole of Psalm 104. The psalmist begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flame of fire. He sets the earth on its foundations so that it could never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, and at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys." They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Besides them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he might bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's hearts. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir tree. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons the sun to know its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. And when all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens, and man goes out to work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both great and small. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you Take away their breath, they die, and return to dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from before the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise 
the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's word this evening. May we receive it with a believing heart. And let's turn also now to our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 50, which can be found on page 256 in the forms and prayers in the pew in front of you. Lord's Day 50. Question, the instructor asks the question, what does the fourth petition mean to which we respond together in unison? Give us this daily bread means provide for all our physical needs so that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our care and work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. My dear friends, we are all beggars. That is true. These were the words that the friends of Martin Luther found scrawled out on in his room in 1546 after his death. We are all beggars. That is true. That is, when he looked back on his whole life, when Martin Luther considered all the things that he had done as a catalyst to the Reformation, he was a theologian. He was a pastor. He was a teacher. He was an author. When he looks back on it all, he says, I am just a beggar. I held out my hands open to God. And He filled them. This is the heart of the fourth petition. We are all beggars. And that it doesn't matter how smart we are, how good of a job we have, or how much money we have in the bank, the one who provides daily bread is God. And to pray to God that we need Him to provide daily bread is to recognize that we are totally dependent upon Him. And the Catechism adds, not just for food, but for everything good. Everything good. See, Psalm 104 is a psalm about God's creation. Boys and girls, did you notice how many animals are mentioned here in this psalm? God created them all. The donkeys, the goats, the badgers, the fish, the leviathan, and even the birds. And all of these animals depend on God totally to provide for them every day of the week. It is a psalm of God's creation. The inanimate things, he says, these also depend on God. He says the sea, even the grass, the trees, the very foundations of the world itself, the sun and the moon, they all totally depend on God. And the psalmist doesn't just say this so that we can be in awe of God, but that when we consider His power, the very power of God to create, that we would trust the Creator to provide for our daily bread. We see this in verses 14 and 15. You cause the grass to grow, 
for the livestock which men eat, and plants for man to cultivate, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, bread to strengthen the man's heart, that from God's creation He provides for us the very things we need to survive. And you see, so it is with us, my dear friends. This evening, this psalm is a reminder of God's wonderful work of creation. And the psalmist gave it to us to inspire in us a greater confidence in God. Robert Godfrey says, when faith faces trials, meditating on God's work of creation and redemption, of course, it builds up our faith. And so my goal is that you and I would be comforted this evening by God's past care in creating this world, and we would be strengthened for the week ahead by His promise of care for tomorrow. Strengthened by His, continue, or His care in creation and strengthened for tomorrow by His promise of care. Let's notice this in three points this evening. The Creator's creation. And that's first point. The second point is the Creator's provision. And the second point is the Creator's praise. Let's look first at the Creator's creation. It is not wrong for us to praise God for His creation. You know, there's nothing unspiritual about waking up and seeing the white snow and worshiping Yahweh. Now, there's something unspiritual about waking up in the morning, seeing the white snow, and cursing God for snow. But there's nothing wrong with praising God for His work of creation. One thing I love about living here in the state of Michigan, I can't say the snow, but one thing I do love is the beautiful fall colors that we get every year. I wake up and say, wow, look at what God has made. Or you look at your children like I do, and you're filled with awe that God could make such an incredible, intricate, beautiful thing. It's not unspiritual to worship God for His creation. And you might find it interesting this evening to compare Psalm 104 with the psalm that precedes it and the psalm that follows it. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 103 and notice the first verse. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Then go to Psalm 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Go to Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. All three psalms have the same goal. They call us to worship. But these three psalms give us three different reasons for worshiping God. Psalm 103, we could say, is a psalm that calls you to worship God for His salvation. The psalmist talks about the forgiveness, the healing, and the redemption that God gives him in Psalm 103. Psalm 105 is about worshiping God for His covenant. How He chose Abraham and called him out and He gives His promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Psalm 104 is a psalm that likewise calls you to worship God. And the very grounds for worshiping Him is that He is a good Creator. Worship Him for His creation. And we see this also in the fourth commandment. 
Honor the Sabbath day and make it, keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. We can sing praise to God for His work of creation. Now notice what the psalmist does not say in Psalm 104. He does not say, worship the great unknown Creator. Like they did in Acts 17, they had an idol they put up to the unknown God, just in case they, in their worship of the many gods, they didn't have the Creator God right, so they put up an idol for Him. That's not what the psalmist says. The psalmist doesn't say, worship your family God or your community God. The psalmist is very clear who this Creator God is. Verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, You are very great. Here the psalmist uses the covenantal name of God. This is the very name that God gave Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, when he says, Whom shall I go? Who shall I say has sent me? God says, I am who I am. He is Yahweh. The psalmist is making a profound point here that the God of creation is also the God of the covenant. He is the God of the Bible. Not one God amongst many other gods, but the one true God. Triune God. That is the God of creation. And this God, the psalmist glorifies because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, what's being described in those first few verses of Psalm 104 is the kingliness of God. The greatness of Him. Look at these verses. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. That's the description of a king. Majesty. Splendor. But not just any king. This is a king above all kings. We can't even describe how beautiful God is. In fact, when humans try to describe God and how beautiful and majestic He is, we always have to default to light. This is what Paul does in 1 Timothy 6, where he says He is a God of light. The closest thing we can describe God with is the sun. He's beautiful, radiant, glorious, and it says He covers Himself in it. See, a king, an earthly king, has to put on purple to look beautiful. The earthly king has to put a crown of gold on to look beautiful. But here, if God were to put a robe on, it would be light itself. And it says He stretches out the heavens. He lays the beams upon the water. And those two words, heaven and chambers, refer to something above. Something that is beyond us. Something that is above. That's where God dwells. See, what you need to see from these first few verses is God's beauty and His location. It is far above. In other words, God is beautiful and in His penthouse. His character is very great. Now, I have a question for you, my friends. 
Does the person at the top of the building usually care about what's going on at the street level? Does the person in the, who lives in the penthouse cares what happens to the homeless person living on the street? Does the boss usually know the name of the cubicle employee? See, the psalmist begins with the loftiness of God, but that's not principally where his praise comes from in this psalm. What he praises God for is that this very lofty God does not neglect a single aspect of His creation. He goes all the way back to the water. You see beginning in verse 5. In many ways, this psalm is a commentary on the book of Genesis. He goes back to the water. The very waters that we read in Genesis 1, verse 2, that the Spirit hovered over before the world was created. Or I should say formed and terraformed. How the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. And the psalmist gives divine commentary on this verse where he says in verse 7, At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose as the water faded away. The valley sank down to the place you had appointed them. How God pushed back the oceans. He pushed back the water into the streams that ran through the earth. He pushed back the water into the ponds and into the lakes. And through this, God caused life to flourish. From those waters God gave, look at verse 11, drink to a donkey and the beast. As God rebukes the waters in Genesis 1, He causes the grass and the trees to grow. He provides agriculture. Wine that gladdens the heart. Oil that makes His face shine. Bread to strengthen His heart. God is creating an inhabitable world for His creation. Notice the psalmist doesn't end there. God didn't just create this world, but He created the whole universe. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know its time for setting from the depths of the very ocean all the way to heaven itself. God knows and forms it all. He creates, the psalmist says, did you see this, boys and girls? The Leviathan, which was a Canaanite god, but here likely refers to the deep sea creatures. Here, we could go on and on talking about God's creation, but here is the point. The entire world, says the psalmist, is supported by and controlled by God. What stands behind this created world is our heavenly King. He is its creator. He is its sustainer. He is the one who has done it. He lays the beam. He stretches the tent. He thunders at the deep. He quickens life. And here, I want to bring it home to you. If He cares this much for the little sea creatures and the birds and the crops, will He not care for you? This is what the Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. Look at the birds of the air. 
and the lilies of the valleys. If God provides for them, how much more so will He provide for you? It was a perfect world God created. Perfectly on its access. Perfect distance away from the sun. Perfect in its way to provide. Perfect a place for man to live. That was the world our Creator created. I mentioned that this is a, in many ways, a commentary on the first few chapters of Genesis. And it should be noticed that in many ways it's a reflection on Genesis 1. If you flip back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, you'll notice many similarities from what Moses says in Genesis 1 to what the psalmist says in Psalm 104. In fact, the psalmist may even be giving commentary on the very days of creation itself. Remember what it says about the days of creation. On the first day, God made light. Genesis 1. And in verse 2 of Psalm 104, we read that God clothes Himself. Wraps Himself in light. On the second day, we read in Genesis 1 that He spread out the heavens. And what do we see in verses 2 and 4 of Psalm 104? He spreads out the heavens and lays beams upon the waters. On the third day in Genesis 1, God separates the waters and created vegetation. And in verses 5-9, through we see that at His rebuke, the waters fled. And the rest of the psalm mentions that vegetation coming to life. On the fourth day, God hung the sun in the sky and the moon and the stars. And in verses 19-23, through we see the psalmist meditate on the fourth day. On the fifth day, God filled the earth with sea creatures and fowl. And that's what we see in verses 25-26. through 26. On the sixth day, God made animals and man. We see this in the psalm as well. The only departure from the creation days in Psalm 104 is the mention of man, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. But the psalmist seems to be providing divine commentary, if you will, on God's plan of creation. And I want you to notice, because it's a contemporary issue in our day, that the psalmist in Psalm 104 does not speak of Genesis 1 as if it is myth or a fairy tale. But he sees it as the very Word of God given to him for his encouragement. So young people who are here today, you may be mocked in this world for saying, I believe that God created this world. I believe that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth. But to take out Genesis 1 from the Bible is to also take out the encouragement that Psalm Psalm 104 gives us. To take out Genesis 1 is to also take out Jesus' words when He quotes Moses and His creation story. And if Jesus was wrong about creation, then we have some serious problems. Genesis 1 is given to us for the encouragement of our faith that our Creator created a perfect world for you and for me. Well, if a world is perfect, 
then why does God need to provide? Well, here's the crescendo of Psalm 104. Verses 27 and 30. Look at this with me. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide their face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and they return to dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. When you, when you, when you, when you. The psalmist says what our catechism says, that God is the source of everything good. And He is not just this divine clockmaker who sets everything in motion and then backs off and lets things run their course. No, God is remaining ever active and involved in this world. But the psalmist recognizes that there's something different about God's creation here. Do you see what it is? It's death. It's death. We don't read about death being created by God in Genesis 1. Instead, we read about death being created by man in Genesis 3. And so the psalmist says that God is that God of life, but He is also the one who has to deal with death. Our sin. Our rebellion but we also see a word of hope regarding recreation. But first, let's look here at the God of life. He says all these things need to look to God because you give them food in their due season. Verse 27. Don't miss what the psalmist is saying here. That all of creation, the birds, the beasts, the badgers and the goats, the crop and the foliage, all things need to look to God for their provision. And as creatures, we ought to recognize that food truly comes to us from the hand of God. And it says, food in due season. Not a promise of abundance. Not a promise that we will always be content with our lot. But it is a promise that God will provide daily provision. In fact, when Jesus says, pray for your daily bread in Matthew chapter 6... It is a reminder that we need to be modest with our expectations. It is a promise that as long as we are on earth, we can trust that He will provide, but it doesn't mean that we will be rich beyond our wildest imaginations. He is the God of life. He provides life. But He also deals with man's death. See, He provides meditation on Genesis 3 as well. He praises God for His provision. But there is that sober reminder in verse 28 and 29 that apart from the Lord Jesus' return, all things will experience death. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. That's a quotation, I think. From Genesis 3, verse 19, when God says to Adam and Eve, you are dust, and to dust you will return. That when creatures die, it's as if He hides His face from them. 
He removes from them the blessing of life. The Catechism puts it this way, apart from you, we can do no good without your blessing. The psalmist says we don't even have life without your blessing. When God gives life, we live. But when, we take, when He takes it away, we die. See, the psalmist is looking back at the creation story. God made something perfect. According to our free will, the own, our own volitional hearts, we sinned against God and brought death into this world. But the psalmist also looks forward. Look at verse 30. This is the hope of this passage. When you send forth your Spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. In other words, even the greatest and last enemy does not hinder God's promise of provision. That God has a plan of redemption. He has a plan of recreation in Christ. And He sends the Lord Jesus into this world after the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He sends the Lord Jesus into this world, a world that was cursed. Remember, God cursed the ground. He said, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all your days of your life. And the Lord Jesus came. And He lived that perfect life. And He suffered and died at the hands of Pontius Pilate. And He gave of His blood so that we could be a new creation, says Paul. People who are renewed. Paul tells us the whole creation has been groaning, longing, not just for our salvation, but longing for the salvation of this world. Recreation. There is something still yet for us to look forward to. This is what the Spirit showed John in the book of Revelation. He says this in Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Behold, the dwelling place of God was with man, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. This is God's ultimate promise of provision. That one day, not only will this, this uh, Spirit be renewed by the blood of Christ, but this whole world will be renewed by the blood of Christ. And that we will be there when Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. And so the theologians say that that perfect creation God made will be even greater in the life to come. That is how God's Spirit will renew the face of the ground when the Lord Jesus comes. And we hear that trumpet sound. And even those who have died and experienced the punishment of death shall be raised from death to life. He makes all things new. And so here is the application. If God can take His hand and carve out the valleys, 
And not just His rebuke, says the psalmist. The oceans flee from His presence. If He can provide for every single creature on the face of the earth, can He not provide for your daily bread? The psalmist answers in verses 14 and 15, yes, He can. He promises to provide. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. He brings forth food from the earth, wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, bread to strengthen his heart. The answer is yes. He can and will provide until the day He plans to call you home. You can see this also just from Jesus' words in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice the possessive, our. We can pray with the assurance that God already has the means to provide. That the daily provision is certainly ours. It is certainly planned to give you. See, nothing else in this life provides this kind of assurance. You can have all the money in the world and there's no certainty that the stock market won't crash tomorrow. You can have the most beautiful, wonderful person in your life make a promise, but humans break promises. We don't even know if we'll be able to make it through the snowstorm this evening. But this is guaranteed. This is 100% true. God will provide for you until your final breath. He has promised to provide. But notice the psalmist say that man still must cultivate. He still must grow. He still must bring forth food from the earth. Martin Luther said it like this once, uh, God cares for the birds, but He doesn't just drop the worm in their beaks. Jesus calls us to trust God The psalmist calls us to trust God, but this is not an encouragement to laziness or carelessness. Paul said it this way in 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. But it is the will of God that every man have a calling. That each one of us should mind our calling. Make a business of your calling. But however much we work, let us remember to pray for God's blessing because it doesn't depend on us. That's what the catechism says. It doesn't depend on us. Our care, our work, or our gifts. Our livelihood depends wholly and entirely on God's blessing. There's something very curious about these final verses, and this is our third point, the Creator's praise. The curious thing I want you to notice is, did you see this in the psalm a few moments ago? May the Lord, uh, verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. And may the Lord rejoice in His works. The Lord rejoicing? The Lord delighting? Praising? One sermon I read said, God created a world that even He could delight in. And this again is a reflection on Genesis 1. 
that when God looked upon the world, what did he say? It was good, it was good, it was very good. He rejoiced in it. And even though this creation has now been marred and stained with sin, and death displeases God, and Satan is called the prince of the power of the air, the psalmist says, in your creative work, may you look upon it again and rejoice. See, this is what God has done in Jesus Christ. He has fulfilled these words. As Jesus has come and laid down His very life, God rejoices in us His new creation, we are told in the New Testament. And so God, in that, one, in that day in the new creation, when this world will be, rain, be made new, and the throne of God will dwell again upon the earth, and all God's people will gather around that throne and worship Him, God will again say, it is very Good. I mentioned a few moments ago how almost all the facets of God's creation were mentioned in this psalm. But did you see the one that was missing? It was man. The crown of God's creation is the only thing that is not mentioned in turn. Every other day is mentioned, all six of them, in turn, except for man. Where is God's crown of creation? Where is man? We find him at the end of the psalm. He looks at this world and he concludes with renewed praise. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. See, as, this, as God rejoices in his, the work of His Son. And He rejoices in the world to be remade and renewed in Jesus. So the psalmist rejoices in God. We are encouraged, brothers and sisters, to worship the Lord our God. We read in verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let us praise Him for His work of creation. Let us praise Him for His work of redemption. And let us praise Him for His future work of recreation to be done on that last and final day. But there's one more curious thing about this psalm. There's a surprising element to which, with which the psalmist concludes. Let sinners, verse 35, be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This prayer at the end is a reminder that creation has been marred by sin. And that the nastiness and that the evil in this world is present not because of God, but because of sin. And Jesus will come and He will take away all of those sins on that last and final day. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming again. But He will not come meek and mild as He did before. But He will come as a conquering King to reclaim His territory and vanquish all who are opposed to Him. Are you ready 
to meet the king? If so, look at what the catechism says. Withdraw your trust from all creatures. Place it in Him alone. All you must say to be a part of that new creation, that recreation in Jesus, is say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive a sinner such as me. We are all beggars. This is true. But thankfully, the One which promises to provide, the One to whom we beg, promises to provide richly for our daily bread, both spiritually and physically. Be encouraged this evening that He took great care when creating this world and everything in it and all of the creatures and He promises to provide for you spiritually, physically, even beginning now and for all of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that You are the creating and You are the redeeming God. And that even this creation longs for that day when it will be recreated and renewed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, that we even now are Your new creation. But we look forward to that day when all of Your redeemed sinners will gather around the throne and that all of the creation will, as we say, be cleansed of sin and changed into the person or changed into the likeness, I should say, of Jesus. We thank You for His cross. We thank You for His future promise. Help us to always look to that future promise even for want of daily bread knowing that You love to provide for us. We ask God that You would bless us this evening as we go our homeward way. Keep us safe on the roads. We pray, Lord, that we would look to You in this coming week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.